Hello everyone. Today I'm going to tell you a story about a family who lived in ancient Israel. This particular story doesn't sound like most of the stories in the book of Judges. It doesn't have the predictable elements. You know, Israel sins against God, who gives them over to their enemies, who oppresses them, then they cry out to God, and God pities them, sends a judge to save them, and they live in peace for a while. Now, this story is a bit different. You may find the story a bit ironic, or even feel it makes no sense. But listen carefully and decide for yourselves. Once upon a time, a long time ago, far away in the hills in the region of Ephraim, in ancient Israel, lived a family. A mother, her son Micah, whose name in Hebrew meant, who is like God. He was married and had sons of his own. By all appearances, it seemed like a God-fearing family. The mother, a widow, had a significant sum of money, about 1,100 pieces of silver. One day, she realizes that the money is missing. She searches everywhere, but can't find it. That was a lot of money. She was furious and had her suspicions about who took the money. But how to know for sure? She has an idea. Let me tell you what she did. She walked around in the house, speaking loudly so everyone in the house could hear. And she was actually putting a curse on the thief who took the money. Well, her plan worked. She flushed out the thief, her son Micah. He feels very bad, confesses to his mother that he stole the money. He says, I'm sorry, mother, forgive me. The money, the 1,100 pieces of silver that are missing, I took it. That was the right thing to do. Did he feel bad because he stole the money? Or was he afraid of the curse? Only he knows. How did his mother react? Well, she was upset and disappointed, like any parent would be, when she heard that he stole the money. But she was quick to forgive. Maybe to break the power of the curse she put on the thief, or because she was proud that he did the right thing. She looked at him with compassion and said, The Lord bless you, my son. Micah was relieved. He was forgiven. And their relationship was restored. Micah gives the money back and everyone is happy. Then she adds, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord, which is praiseworthy for a God-fearing woman. But then you will never believe what she says next. This is what she says. For my son to make an image overlaid with silver, I will give it back to you. And that is where the story gets a bit confusing. She says, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. In the same sentence, 
How does this make sense? Her actions are not supporting her statement. She offers the silver to God, but in action she practices idolatry. She goes to a silversmith in the neighborhood and pays him 200 pieces of silver to make an idol. And when she does this, maybe she has good intentions and wanted to make a graven image of Yahweh, or maybe it was an image of one of the Canaanite gods, maybe Baal. The reality is that she did not remember what God commanded Moses to tell her forefathers, you shall not make for yourself any god of cast metal. In any case, she then took the newly made idol and gave it to Micah, who gladly accepted it and put it in a very special place he had in his home. You will not believe what he had in his home, a private shrine. But it was small, and Micah had a bigger vision, to be the owner and manager of his own sanctuary. One silver idol is not enough. He needs to be fully kitted out with all the objects of worship that belong in a temple. To reach his goal, Micah first makes a list of what he needs. Oh yes, of course, he knows that the priest wore special clothes, so he makes an effort. The priestly garments. Great. Next, he makes a teraphim. This was a family idol, which was believed to bring good luck and prosperity to the family home. But wait, a critical item is missing. Oh yes, Micah needs a priest. How can you have a sanctuary without a priest? Micah knows that only Levites could be ordained as priests according to the law, but there wasn't any available in his neighborhood. So what did he do? Oh my, when you think that it could not get worse. What I'm going to tell you really happened. Micah ordains his son as a priest. Yes, he does. And with this decision, Micah not only breaks the law of Moses, but practices nepotism too. In any case, Micah felt a sense of accomplishment with his shrine project. He was the founder and CEO of his own private worship place. After all, he did what he thought was right, because he was not accountable to anyone. And if you remember the saga of the people of Israel in Judges, you will remember that each person did what was right in their own eyes because they had no leader. But you know what? As time went by, for some reason, Micah felt troubled, maybe guilty. It sounds like he was possibly coming to his senses and remembered that idolatry is an abomination to a holy God. Well, if it were someone in our contemporary Christian circle, we would say that maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting him. That is why he feels troubled. But no, he probably feels bad for ordaining his son as a priest. And where is a Levite when you need one? Well, this is where the story gets exciting. You will never believe what happens next. Call it coincidence if you want to. Let me tell you what happened. 
One day, Micah was at home, minding his own business, when a traveler arrived at his house. Knock, knock, knock. Micah opens the door. Micah sees a young man and says, Where are you from? The young man goes on to say, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm looking for a place to stay. What? Micah can hardly believe his ears and very quickly sees this as an opportunity or an answer to his prayers and makes an attractive job offer to the young traveler, complete with salary and benefits. Micah says, Live with me and be my father and priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year, your clothes and your food. The Levite who left his hometown of Bethlehem in Judah, for reasons that he fails to mention. Why does it matter? It matters because Levites dedicated their lives to full-time service in God's tabernacle and relied on offerings from God's people to supply their needs. That something happened in Bethlehem and he had to leave? Well, Micah, doesn't ask too many questions either. Actually, he doesn't want to know. After all, he needs a priest. It is incredible what we are willing to overlook when we want something very badly. The young Levite promptly accepted the job offer and said, Thank you, yes. I was looking for a place to stay and work, so I agreed to live with you. Now, wait. This is odd. Why would a genuine Levite priest agree to work in a shrine full of idols? It doesn't make logical or theological sense. Well, Micah wastes no time. He ordains the Levite as a priest and accommodates him in his house. Actually, he becomes like one of his sons. And he has big plans for the priest in his shrine. And you know what? Micah was no longer troubled. After all, now he had a real priest. So, he has a false sense of security and says, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since this Levite has become my priest. And that is the end of the story. What a puzzling story, with an even more puzzling end. The story's ancient, but I wonder how much of Micah's mixture of devotion to God and idolatry resonates with our lives in contemporary times. We are modern-day Micahs, who profess the name of the Lord, but deny Him in our actions. Now, in the complete picture of our Christian lives, we are to love God with all our heart soul and strength. There should be no private places, like a personal shrine in our hearts dedicated to an idol, which is something or someone that we love more than God and are not willing to give up. This reminds me of a story in the New Testament of a young rich man who went to Jesus and was confident that he was obedient to all God's commandments. But then Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. 
When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He wasn't willing to give them up. The danger is that an idol will cause us to compromise our complete obedience to God, and it will lead us into a space where we may have a false sense of security and think that God is pleased with us. It doesn't make any godly sense.